Bible more and more. All right, yes, I have. I admit it. But when I'm with you, I... used to be years ago, people referred to their King James Bible as like the only real thing. It's the only real Bible. I don't know what Bible you got, but I got the real Bible. So maybe that's what I could say about paper Bible. You know, if you got your real Bibles, go ahead and take them out. If you guys are reading from one of them fake electric ones, go ahead and make use of that, I guess. Let me encourage you, uh, if, if you have joined in with our restart of our small group ministries. I know we had a wonderful, wonderful turnout last two weeks ago, I guess, uh, when those groups met. I still know we're compilating the, uh, the attendance figures there, but it just seems as though we had an off-the-charts amount of folks who registered and, and, and showed up. And so you're to be commended for your faithfulness to the groups that you have registered for. If you still are not in a group and you want to get in a group, please let us know that. Come find us after the service. Uh, Go online and and check out how you can still uh, get involved in small groups uh, at this point as well. And and, and keep in mind, while you're here, if you're in a sermon-based group, right, we're about to discuss the material that you're going to be facing when you meet in your group this coming week. So careful attention, take notes, keep your notes, take them with you. Uh, we'll revisit those as you guys get together. Let's turn in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to begin reading in verse 38. And we're going to try and see why I titled this message, Gospel Relevance and Surfboards in the Arctic. So let's start in verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore. Lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing. And the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were first were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for words of life written, inspired by you to visit upon our lives. Lord, where we find ourselves now, we have titled this study a new normal. For Lord, we don't want to be conformed to the normal of this world. We don't even want to be conformed to the normal of this church age. But we want to be conformed to what you had in mind. When you sent the message of your gospel, you sent your son and you've given us your spirit. Lord, may you give us today awareness, insight, truth to bear on our souls. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, being fully aware that we all live with so much information floating in and out of our heads these days, it's kind of a competition for relevance, right? What, what, what information is going to be really relevant to you that you're going to hear anything about? And I think relevance has a lot to do with sort of the, the emotional and mental address where you live your life. Like right now, you walked in and your, your mind and your emotions have been living at a certain address this week, maybe yesterday. And boy, I tell you what, if I put my foot in your address, I've got your attention this morning. You'll listen carefully to the message. But part of the problem with us is where we choose to locate our address. So let's suppose, let's suppose you, for some reason, decided you were going to move to the Arctic Circle. That's going to be your new address. Well, in that moment, a bunch of things become very relevant to you. And a bunch of things become very irrelevant to you. You're going to be living at the Arctic. So you're not going to sound like you're from South Louisiana in that moment. Because you're not going to be saying, you know, if we got to fix something around the house, we're concerned that the air conditioner is broken. Had a guy in my office the other day, had to take a phone call during a meeting because... His air condition is broke. I completely understood. I mean, that's relevant, right? You got to go home to a house that's got no air conditioning. Move to the Arctic Circle, air conditioners. Irrelevant, right? Um, you won't get to the Arctic Circle and in a panic, turn to your wife. Honey, did, did, we, bring the, did we bring the sunscreen and the surfboard? You know, uh, irrelevant. Does the, does the hotel have a pool? Uh, irrelevant, right? Where you live determines your relevance. And I'm very concerned, and as we look in these passages here, I'm, I'm very concerned that we're not quite as aware as we need to be, that most of us are living at a very, very man-centered address. That's kind of our Arctic circle. We live in a place where we feature and look for certain aspects of life and we ignore others. And so I think I wrote this in your outline. Theologically, and all of life really is theological, because there is a God and he is governing the affairs of life. So all of life is theological. Theologically, living in the Arctic circle of man-centeredness will make much of who God is and what God has done. To seem irrelevant. If you have been spending your emotional and mental energy at the address of boyfriends and living a publishable weekend, right? You know what I mean? It's like you do anything you can post, you know? You just can't feel good about your weekend if there's just nothing you're gonna be doing that you can post, right? Well, if that's where you're living your emotional and mental life, and we read Acts chapter 13, verse 38 and 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. From everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. There's, there's, there's not a more weighty statement in the Bible. For any one of us personally. But depending on where my emotional mental address is this morning. That could be a big yawner. If I walked in here and my concern is over people accepting me and who is accepting me and who am I at war with and and why didn't this work out and why did those people say that or if I'm all worried about money and what money can accomplish and what's my bankroll like and how am I going to get to the end of the month and and what about what about my career and where I'm going and whether there's opportunities or not If, if that's where I'm living if I'm living at that address and I read those verses to you I don't have your attention I just told you the biggest news in the universe. And I don't have your attention. See, you you realize when you you have to speak to people, 
you just don't get to talk about the things that matter to you because they have to listen. So I want to talk to me. That's cool. But you have to listen. So part of the obligation for the speaker is to find out what address you're at because I've got to come to you in some way. So if I design a message that's, that's engaging man-centered experience, right, that's relevant. If this is a message about personal fear, and I tap into that and I pull that out a little bit and make it to be something that's tangible to you, to where you're in touch with the personal fears that are going on inside of you. Or if I talk about guilt in your life, regretful experiences, things that you've done, things that sit on you, things that just steal the joy out of any moment in your life because you've done some things that you deeply regret and it just won't go away. It's 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, and it can come up just like that. That's real, right? That's, that's an address where you are living. And if I can touch that, I, I, I get your attention. Yet we read these verses here and these verses are enormous verses, enormously important, vital critical verses. But I think one of the reasons why we don't get them is because we're too man-centered. These verses are very God-centered. They're very much about God. They're very much revealing something about God to us. I'm putting your outline there. Because we are man-centered by nature and our ears perk up and find delight in topics about us problem is the Bible is God-centered. So its first concern is to get our perspective on God right. Do you, know, do you know why this is incredibly good news? This is the heart of the gospel, the good news. Forgiveness of our sins and freedom from everything the law of Moses could not accomplish for us. Do you know why this is incredibly good news? Do you know why this forgiveness is incredibly good news? Because I know if, if I am guilty of something, if I'm living in the guilt of something, and I'm here today, probably what I'm most concerned about is getting the forgiveness of someone. I wronged someone. I hurt someone. I wrecked a relationship with someone that's no longer in existence in my life. There are consequences to my actions. So I'm, I'm looking for a message that will alter the, the guilt I feel towards people, towards those that I've wronged. But see, the good news in this passage, it's not man-centered, it's God-centered. It is saying forgiveness of your sins from one another? Not necessarily. I hope. That's not what this verse is about. This verse is about forgiveness from God. Now, probably every one of us can remember some event, broken relationship, series of things that went wrong, conflict into a meaningful relationship, young times, boyfriend, girlfriend, good friend growing up, husbands and wives. And a fracture has come in, an offense has occurred, and you are legitimately part of the problem. And you probably lost sleep over that. You probably went to bed at night, couldn't sleep at night, got up in the morning, troubled by this fractured relationship. Will this person ever forgive me? I'd be hard-pressed. Now, think with me, honestly. If I were to ask how many of you have ever lost sleep over the question of whether or not God will forgive you? How many of you have ever gone to bed, you just can't sleep? I just can't sleep. I'm just, I wake up in the morning, it just sits on me, this issue of whether God will forgive me or not. It'd be a very short line. I don't think we'd have much of a line. I said, let's form a line outside. Isn't it amazing that we will lose sleep over whether a person will forgive me or not? But I'm just not so jazzed and concerned and weighed down by whether God will forgive me or not. 
And so we read a passage like this and we just go, I know kickoff's at 12. He's not going to go too long today. I got to check on my fantasy team. I got to see how they're doing. Um, I wonder who's having lunch afterwards because I'm not really into football. I wonder who's going to go eat lunch after the meeting. And we just got finished reading. Let it be known. Let it be known to you. And through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. And freedom is here in this passage. <clears throat> Derek Thomas, referring to this passage, says what Paul was holding out was essential to both life and death. The way to receive forgiveness of sins. Now, as then, people turn to all kinds of sources thinking they will find the answer to their problems. Alcohol, sports, therapy, drugs, etc. But Paul was saying that Jesus Christ is the answer. Someone needed to say to them and also to us that their greatest issue was sin. Offenses against a holy God which unless forgiven would send them headlong into hell for eternity. Someone needed to show them how to escape hell and gain an eternity in heaven in the presence of God. Guilty consciences can never be relieved in any other way than through faith in Jesus Christ. We must rest the weight of our sin and our guilt upon Jesus Christ, understanding that he has borne God's judgment against our sin. Really. Escaping hell and acquiring an eternity in heaven. Really. I don't know, Keith. I hear what you're saying, but it sounds like sunscreen and surfboards, buddy. I got a lot going on. Got the game. Got fantasy football. I got stuff going on. I got things on my mind right now. Uh, How about escaping hell and acquiring an eternity in heaven? Got any relevance to anybody here today? Well, not right now because, you know, I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. All right. I guess you can live your life that way. But this verse screams of relevance. It screams of relevance in a category that actually even being man-centered matters to us. Everybody would like to deal with guilt in their life. Guilt does all kinds of things to you. It makes you you withdrawn. It makes you introspective. Uh, it, It makes you feel awkward to relate to people in your life, people in your past. And that awkwardness gets expressed through, you know, however you're wired. You know, you can become very withdrawn, sort of cold and aloof, or you can become very aggressive and angry. It just depends on how you are. Sometimes you're, you're biting people's heads off, just biting them off one after another, after another, over the course of your life, somebody's losing their head. Why? Well, no one figures out that you feel so guilty about something that has gone wrong that you can't go back and fix and you're mad about it and that anger comes out on people all around you. It's guilt. But that's why verse 38 is screaming of relevance into our lives. Right in your outline there, I put this. The reason verse 38 And 39 is relevant to my life is because offending God is the source of my guilt. How many of us recognize that we tend to think that the source of our guilt is what we did to the other person? You understand if you wrong someone, severely wrong them, and you you happen to be on the pleasant receiving end of that. And they say, look, dude, it's cool, man. Really? It's really, really okay. Do you understand that still doesn't mean you're okay with God? Right? I mean, we want to say, hey, that's what we're after. 
You know, I'm losing sleep. I'm just wondering how you're going to respond. Are you ever going to speak to me again? Is our relationship over? Is this, is this going to work out? Oh, oh. And then you tell me, hey, it, it, it's okay. Really, really, listen, it's really okay. Oh, man. That's just a, that's a ton off my back. And then you come read Acts chapter 13, verse 38, and it means nothing to you. Because that's not the forgiveness this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about whether God forgives you. This verse is talking about a freedom that has to do with God. Freedom? I'm an American, man. What are you talking about freedom? I got the freedom to do so many things in this guy. I can, I can, I can quit my job, start a business. I can do whatever tomorrow. That's not the freedom this verse is about. This, this verse is about freedom that has to do with what the law of Moses requires from you that you can't seem to accomplish. And that has to do with that little thing in the back of your soul that feels like I'm not accepted. I'm not accepted. I'm not accepted. I'm, I'm guilty and I'm not accepted. And it hides back there behind life and all the noise and all the people that are going on. And, and we respond to it by trying to get everybody to accept us. I just can't stand it if you're not all right with me. I've just got to fix some kind of connection. You got to be okay with me. I got to get accepted from you and from you. And, and then I really want to be accepted by that special group over there. I want to fit in and be accepted because there's something in your soul that's crying out, accept me, accept me, be okay with me, be okay with me. But do you understand in this verse, it's got nothing to do with people there's something in your soul that's crying out to the living God saying accept me accept me be okay with me are you okay with me but that's not how we read the Bible is it we want we want some advice today on how to get along with each other I've got issues I've got people in my life man Can you give me some inspiration on how to deal with them well, this is, a, this is a book about God. It's a Bible that's telling us how to deal and relate to God. And right in the middle, all this good news, right? Evan led us through the good news in Acts chapter 13. The message begins to be preached by Paul all the way through to this point. And good news doesn't even stop sounding like good news before this verse 40 intrudes. Good news right up to the point of... Beware. Beware. Beware you don't treat that good news like nothing. That's the Keith translation. That word's an interesting word there, that beware. It it combines two thoughts. It has to do with perceiving and taking heed. Maybe in one of your translations it'll say take heed. Take this and possess it. Take this information and own it. Be affected by it. Don't just listen. Listen and be affected. That's what beware means. And it's an interesting warning. I'll come back to it in just a second. Because it says beware lest. In other words, if you don't pay attention to this. And you don't respond to it. And you don't treat this like it's significant. Something like this could happen to you. Something like what the prophets said. Those Old Testament bad boy gunslinger prophets just seem to be bringing bad news after bad news to people. And Paul just got finished explaining the good news and then turns around and says, beware lest you get a little dose of bad news. And we'll come back to that in just a second. Might it be that our sort of Arctic Circle address, our man-centered address, temporary man-related, is making us miss the most important and relevant things about God in these various Bible passages. Might it be that we come to the Bible so in tune with, Lord, what's, what's at this level in this passage for me that we misplace the fact that this is a book about God. It's trying to put us in touch with God. It's not an advice column. It's not just trying to give you some clever little ideas about how to feel better, how to get along better, how to create a better future. It's a book directing you to God. Now, let me tell you where this message came from. It came from where it came from a message I'm not delivering. 
And let me tell you why I'm not delivering it. One, I think because God wanted me to say these things instead. But you know, you know what I've discovered? People don't have a stomach for God. People don't have a stomach to read the, the Bible passages that are clearly in the Bible that kind of twist you up a little bit because it looks like it says something about God that, ooh, I don't know if I like that. Ooh, let's not read that verse. Let's skip past that verse. Let's not bring that one up. Right? Here, here's what's unavoidably in this passage that I'm going to just skim by on the edge. That the gospel got presented on this page and there was an audience that listened and two sets of people responded as always will be the case. And then we, we hear later on that the ones who responded in belief were those who were appointed to believe. How you like that? All right, use your whole brain while you read. If there was an appointment, if some people got appointed, then somebody did the appointing. Right? How many of us like the idea that the only other person who could have done the appointing was who? God. Hmm. God appoints people to believe? Time out. Whoa, whoa. I don't know if I like that idea. Well, why is that? Because I live at the Arctic Circle. (laughs) And that's irrelevant to me. God being that way? I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about that. Now, listen, I will tell you this. In this church, you're going to hear about it. Because I'm, I'm here thinking that God's, God's the main player here. The story's about him. You and I, you know, we're, we're valuable pieces of the landscape, but we are pieces of the landscape. This story is about God. And it's about what he's like and who he is. And what a sad day when God's own people aren't quite sure they really want to know those things about God. You know what? I don't get to escape. God chose to say these things. I'm, I'm reading this verse and I'm realizing, okay, if I decide just to go verse by verse through this, someone is going to wonder, Keith, why do you bring this stuff up? Why do you do that, man? Well, I didn't write Acts chapter 13, okay? I'm just reading it right along with you. The word appointed is there, and it has to do with God, and it has to do with those who believe. I can't ignore that, and you shouldn't either. Because it says something about God and the way he is. I'm not sure I understand that. I'm with you. I'm not sure I understand a lot of it either. But I'm not going to close the page, close my eyes and say, you know, God, when I think about this, there's some things about this I don't like. So I don't want to study it and I don't want to hear anybody tell me about it. God put that in there. The forgiveness stuff, it's in there too. This is forgiveness from God. Or maybe you're not forgiven by God. You ever thought about that? Let me just point this out to us. I'm going to just glean through this real fast. This is in, in reading the Bible. The Bible is an extraordinary book. There are some obvious things that when you come to it and you read it, you can't ignore the obvious things. And the obvious thing is this is a book written by God about God. This, this is, if it's anything else besides that, it's secondary. This is a book that reveals the hidden God to us. And so when you come to a passage, I would suggest that these three things ought always be within mental arm's reach anytime you read the Bible. If you forget everything else I've ever said in the history of sitting in this church, can you please remember these three things. When you read the Bible and I read a passage, I want to come to grips with, what does this passage tell me about God? Just what do I learn about him? What's observable about him? What does this passage tell me about man? Because men are in most of the passages too. The Bible's not primarily about man, but it does tell us a lot about man. Then third, what does this passage tell me about the gospel? Because the gospel is present from Genesis all the way through Revelation. God is up to one thing. One thing. If you read the Bible like he's up to all kinds of stuff, and this is some kind of reader's digest report from multiple continents about life and ancient cultures, you've misunderstood the Bible. 
So when we look in this passage, let's see if we can glean through here pretty quickly in these three categories. One, what does this passage tell me about God? Now, in this passage, this is a continuation of the passage that Evan taught from last week. So we have the, the gospel presented by Paul, beginning in the Old Testament, bringing us all the way to this man. Right? So everything in history has been coming to a point in this man. And in this man are two key ingredients relevant for every human life, forgiveness and freedom from what the law requires of you in this man. Right, so we get to that point and we look at the response here and we learn some things about salvation. A couple of thoughts. What do we see about God here? One, God is loving, merciful, pursuing. Right, God is pursuing here. This is, this is Antioch in Pisidia where a man named Saul from Tarsus has encountered a gospel that began in Jerusalem in that day. And yet this man is standing and proclaiming to these people in Antioch this message that from ancient times, God has been working a plan to reveal one person, and that one person is your forgiveness and your freedom. How did those people ever get to hear that at all? Because our God is a pursuing God. He pursued them. And he pursued Paul and he overtook Paul and he's overtaking them in this passage as well. So you learn something about God here. And listen, I'm not going to tweak all these thoughts out, but you know how important that is when you start feeling like I'm on an island right now and no one knows where I am, not even God. Where did you get that idea from? Well, because I feel alone. Uh, I feel confused. I don't feel any sense of direction. I don't feel any sense of care. And so, right, so you've taken your experience and you have turned to God and defined him. My, my God is a God who fumbles, who forgets, who gets busy with other things, who doesn't seem to care. Right? This is the battle of everyday life, isn't it? But this passage tells me something different about God. This God is a pursuing God. And he's a God of mercy and loving kindness because he's come to tell them about forgiveness. And he's not come to require anything from them. Nobody's got to pay. Right? He came and ran them down just to say, good news. That's what the herald of good news is. It's what's already been accomplished. This isn't a program like if you'll join with us, we'll all have hope together that maybe we can accomplish this thing. No, that's not the good news. They came to announce good news. It's done. Forgiveness and freedom is available. Here, here it is right here. I got it in my hands. Take it, take it from me. Where did that come from? It came from the heart of God who ran these people down in Antioch. The ones that are in this passage rejoicing because they've heard the gospel and they've received forgiveness and freedom. He's willing to pay for the wrongs of others. This whole story, this whole gospel story is about Jesus Christ paying for others' sins. How does the forgiveness occur? Through somebody else paying for your sins. Second, God is strategic, sovereign, purposeful, and focused. Right? All of creation, all of history is accomplishing God's plan. Right? You remember, if you didn't, you weren't here last week, please get the message. That, uh, Evan did an outstanding job of bringing us through the gospel in the Old Testament and all in which God has been doing. Right? If you start feeling like my life is out of control, God's not paying attention, there's problems all over the place, uh, who knows what's going to happen next? God knows what's going to happen next. God writes the script for life. God is in control of everything that's occurring in this world. What's interesting, if you, read, you know, if you read through some of this previous verses, brother, verse 26, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. Right? It's come to us. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets. Right? God had been saying all this stuff all along, but they didn't recognize it which were are read every Sabbath, he fulfilled them by condemning him. Now, isn't this interesting? People who didn't even get God's plan did exactly according to God's plan. What is that? That tells me something about God. 
Right? How many of us are convinced? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like this. I'm convinced I've got to be able to fully figure out God's will in order to do God's will. Aren't you convinced of that? You know, it's, I mean, you probably get counsel from us. It sounds that way. Well, have you prayed about this? Why don't you pray and see what the Lord's leading you to do? And then you read passages like this where God took a bunch of people who didn't pray at all, didn't even want to cooperate, didn't believe in anything about what God was doing, and they did exactly what God had planned. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of lighten your load a little bit? Because some of us are going to, you know, like, oh, I'm so weighed down with whether I know every dot and tittle of the will of God. I don't, I'm paralyzed. And I, I read about a God in, these, in this Bible who manages to get a lot of stuff done with people who are clueless. Not just clueless. I mean, we're kind of like nice clueless. These guys were hostile clueless. I will not believe or cooperate with God. You know, I don't know. The heavens laugh. You know, it's like, well, we'll see about that. You're going to be doing exactly what I got you doing. right? You know those nails that you're going to put? Yeah, exactly. That's my plan right there. Yeah. And they thought, this is definitely not what God wants. No way, man. And it was God's plan all along. You learn something about God in the Bible, don't you? God is holy, and he's just, and he's righteous. How about this word? And he's inflexible. You ever thought about whether God was inflexible or not? So listen, if you live in a man-centered Arctic circle where the thinking of today is featuring everybody can do it their own way, Hey, that's cool with you. Doesn't have to be right with me. That's as long as it's right with you. You know, we are specialists in flexibility. We can, we can say one thing one day and one thing another day. And we can say one thing for one person and something else for someone else. That's not God. That's not how God is. And listen, I, I fully understand you, you may not like that. I, I get that. Listen, you may be here going, oh man, this, he's one of those preachers. He believes in that kind of a God. Um, okay, I'm not quite sure what you mean by saying that because I'm not inside your head. But when I read the Bible, this is, this is how inflexible this God is. The reason why we can tell a story here about a man named Jesus Christ who through this one comes forgiveness and freedom. The reason why is because God is inflexible. And if there ever was a moment of flexibility, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane where the Son of God facing the, the mounting weight of the wrath and punishment of God against sin turns to the Father and says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there ever was a moment where you wanted to see if God could be flexible, don't you think that was the moment? The perfect son of God is asking you if there's another way. Don't you think that was the moment for God to show his flexibility and say, of course, my son, whom I love with all my heart, of course, I can come up with another way. Where do we get the idea that God is so flexible? so inflexible that this, this passage turns from the good news of Christ to a warning from the Old Testament. Right? Can I turn you back to Hab- this is a, a quote from Habakkuk. So if you're good with your Bible or if you have one of those electronic ones, you don't have to know where anything is. You just feed it in and it'll find it for you. If you've got an earphone in, you can let it read it to you as well. <laughs> Sorry. The rest of us just need to know where stuff is in our Bible, Okay. All right, so if you find the Old Testament, the end of it, just turn back four or five books and you'll find Habakkuk, small, called the minor prophet. But Paul is quoting from him right here. So he's bringing to bear the sort of urgency and content that Habakkuk had. He's saying, listen, here's the relevant good news for your life. Forgiveness and freedom are in this person. Now listen, beware lest you listen to me and you're unaffected by it. Beware. That you don't take this to heart, lest something like this happen to you. What did you mean, Paul? He means this. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? This is Habakkuk crying out to God. And you will not hear or cry to you, violence. 
you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Right, so this is what Habakkuk sees in the land in which he lives. Sin is abounding and he just can't jive that with who God is God. Why aren't you changing this? God responds. He says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe it if told. Right? That's what Paul was quoting. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Listen, before I finish reading the nasty resume of the Chaldeans, did you read too fast past who's raising these guys up? And he said from the beginning, I'm about to do something and it's just going to leave you scratching your head. And you're not going to get it. I'm about to take into my hands the Chaldeans. (gasps) What? God, I just got finished telling you about all the horrible sin all around me. They're the worst. And you're going to take them in your hands and use them? This this is a book about who? About God. God writes this event down. God makes sure that we read that he is the one doing this. Whoa, man, I don't know what to do with that. Oh, that's fine. Get a little closer to God and let him be God. Don't just do that. Oh, you know, see, Keith, that's one of those Bible verses. I I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't want to get it. I'm just, I'm just staying away from that. Just, just give me the, the ones that sound like Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so I'm good on those, but this is a book about God. It's, it's not a, it's not a help me manual that we can just leave God out of this. It's why we get to Acts chapter 13 and someone reads to us about forgiveness and freedom. And we, We're going to read the whole passage today? That's a lot. Are you serious? Well, you know, it might get a little spice to it if you knew that you might want to pay attention to this because the God to whom this applies is here in the back of chapter 1. He's right there. He's raising up people. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. And God takes these up and uses them in judgment. Beware, New Testament person listening to God on the other side of the cross. Paul doesn't say, hey, you know, God has really chilled since the old days. You know, listen, I'm just talking to you about, you know, let's just keep it on the down low here. You know, there's this big plan that God's been working since Abraham, bringing it all the way to Jesus. He's the man. Listen, but you know, if you don't want him to be the man for you, you know, the man upstairs kind of gets that you don't want him to be the man. So it's kind of all right. You know, he's chilled since the days of Habakkuk when he'd, he'd raise up nasty people to come judge people. He, you know, he doesn't do that kind of thing anymore. You're reading the Bible here with me. I'm not making this stuff up. Good news gets met by Paul saying, beware, lest that occur. All of a sudden, forgiveness sounds a little more relevant to me. And acceptance by this God sounds a little bit more relevant to me. R.C. Sproul says, Paul hearkened back to this Old Testament warning from the prophet and told the Jews assembled in the synagogue to beware that the same thing doesn't happen to them. 
That happened to their fathers when the hand of God's judgment fell upon them. Jesus told a parable about a wicked man who died and went to hell and then wanted to go back and warn his brothers about the violence and the catastrophe that lay ahead of them. When the rich man wanted to go back and warn his brother, in the parable Jesus said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. That is how stubborn we are. How hard our hearts have become. We have become immunized against the truth of the word of God. That is why today we get rid of unpleasant aspects from our preaching. We do not want to look at unpleasant images. Come on, Keith, does God really like that? That just just doesn't... It doesn't seem civilized. It doesn't seem modern. It doesn't seem like what we think like today. That just sounds so ancient and barbaric. I don't know what word you'd use to describe or contrast that with, but, but here, here's our choices. You have modern, they're not modern news reporters and they're, they're not modern philosophers. They're just sort of Oprah-ish. I mean, they just sort of, the people who fill our TV airwaves with life interpretation, right? They look at life events, they interpret them for you. They look at life events, they interpret them for you. They have tragic situations, they interpret them for you. So eventually, you kind of sit like a student and absorb that kind of stuff. And they, they define who God is and what God is like over and over and over and over again. And so we have a choice here today. Everybody who's on Oprah's side can sit over here And then everybody else can decide whether they're in agreement with the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ. Who said something about God that sounds very different than the modern kind of version of God. The modern version of God never needs to end on Calvary because God is flexible. The biblical version of God is a God who is so inflexible, he can't stop being who he is. Well, he's loving. Yes, he is. Kind. Yes, he is. Merciful. Yes, he is. Just. That's a problem. Now, you can just get God to stop being that. You'll be fine. But why would you want to get God to stop being that? Because it makes us uncomfortable. This is why I just want to make a case for God. Can we just let God be God? And not think that it's okay for us to pick at the edges of who God is and say, you know what, I don't like that part of God and that part of God and that part of God. Can you find me a church where that version of God exists? That's how we approach God. God already is who he is. We don't get to change him. We just get to know him. And this is how he's revealed himself in scripture. Quick thought on man. Look in this passage. Man is in need of being rescued. The whole Bible is a rescue mission. It's God coming to rescue men, including the people in Antioch, Pisidia, and in New Orleans, Louisiana. Man is in need of responding, right? When Paul preaches this message, he is looking for people to respond. He's not looking for them to acquire information, right? Going to church doesn't count in that sense. Going to church, getting around the gospel, it only matters if you respond to it. And you will respond to it one way or the other. It is a message that calls for a response. You see in this passage, going back to Acts 13, I'm sorry if you're still in Habakkuk. In Acts 13, man is in one of two categories. On the one hand, you have people who listen to the same gospel presentation and... They respond with eagerness and acceptance and belief, right? Words like in verse 42 and 43, they begged to hear more. They were following. When there was a gathering, they were there. They were rejoicing and glorifying, and they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. That's one response to the gospel. And then there's another response here as well. They rejected Because they were filled with jealousy. They they had another agenda. Their life was all tied up in something different than what was being offered 
in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So they hated what they were hearing and opposed it and refused to give up the lives that they had. All right, that's, that's the two categories everybody's in. Now, the rejectors of the gospel may not sound like they use curse words or they curse God. They, they can be some very nice, decent people. But they just want their life on their terms. And they don't want to come to the God that they have offended to receive forgiveness like a charity case. They don't want to come and get freedom from their search and quest for life because they're convinced that this way will deliver for me. I can get there. By using this, I can feel good about my life. I will, I will never forget sitting at an alpha table in the old building, maybe in the first alpha we did, second one, something like that, table seated right here. I just presented week number three on the cross. I sit down at the table, begin to ask the folks some questions, listening to them go around the table. And to my left is seated Ellen Pell, who can't get words to come out of her mouth. Just talked about the cross and why it happened. And she's trying to compose herself to get words to come out. As we went around the table, there's a guy on the other end who is an older man who you'd have thought we just got finished talking about race cars or something. He didn't have a clue. It just, one person undone, looking at the cross, seeing the significance of what it meant, turned inside out. Another person, clueless couldn't carry on a conversation about what Jesus Christ had done on his behalf. I I sat at that table. uh, I don't know if I looked puzzled, but I should have looked puzzled because I just sat watching in the back of my head. I'm going, they heard exactly the same thing. They sat in the same meeting and listened to exactly the same presentation. And so did these guys in Acts 13. They listened to Paul preach the same gospel message where some were lit up with rejoicing and responded in faith and some were jealous and began to oppose it hostily. Isn't that amazing? Let me just install a little appreciation for that word that's haunting us. That appointment word. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave everybody to just be motivated by their jealousy and say no every time they hear it? Aren't you glad that God is at work in people appointing them to believe? Lest they all sit there and go, I ain't giving up my rights to my own life. What the heck? Forgiveness. I haven't done that bad. What what have I done wrong? I'm not a bad person. How many people here say that? Let me just stick you next to God for just a second and see if you can still tell me that. Because that's what God is like. God, man, what about the gospel here? The gospel, well, first, the gospel is not new news, right? It is the news that has always been at the center of God's dealings with man. Again, go back and listen to Evan's message to see that. Second, the gospel is something that must be revealed, right? This is going to be a rub, right? This verse, verse, let it be known. It's like, see, it's like here, you get to see it. Is how this is presented. Let it be known to you. And you know when you read verses like this in the Bible. Like I got several of them there in your outline. Romans 16. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. And the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. But has now been disclosed. Right? First Corinthians chapter two says something similar, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. All right. You want to make that, that statement there really, really hairy. They make it really hairy for you. Not only did they not see what they were doing, but God says that he smeared their eyes so that they couldn't see what they were doing. Is this freaking you out? God did that? Yeah, because if they had seen, 
they would have never crucified the Son of God. And God is inflexible. His Son, whom he loved, had to die. He must die. And if everybody gets it, oh, I recognize you. You're the Lamb of God. Come to forgive us of our sins. You're God himself in the flesh. Everybody, come see. Let's kill him. Um, Don't know that those thoughts go together. There's a big giant disconnect. So God made sure everybody didn't see it. God made sure that. I know that's kind of twisted twistiness in the wind. Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Wait, time out, time out. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, now, now you're telling me that God hides things from some but reveals them to others? What, what do you got to do to get in the other category, huh? You got to be some brown nose? How do you, you, know, how do you get to be that person? Right, you can just come to grips with this before you just say, I don't even want to think about any of this. Can you agree with me that the Bible actually does say that the God of the universe hides things? Can you just at least say, you can shake it. Yeah, I agree. He does hide things. See, but part of us looks at that and we kind of, We're so Arctic Circle man-centered that we take God to task on that. It's kind of like, whoa, hasn't God heard of the right to know act? Hello? I mean, isn't he obligated? Isn't he under some kind of law of the universe that he has to tell us everything? Apparently not. Apparently the God of the universe, this is what the Bible says, is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. What do you do with that? Apparently the God of the universe can take something so critical and so important and he can hide it and choose at some point to reveal it. And he can choose to hide it from the wise and the proud and the, I know something and reveal it to the simple and the childlike. Apparently he can do that. See, listen, this, this is a book about God. These passages reveal to us something about God. When you ball all this kind of stuff together, you end up with this, this feeling, this sense of, okay, man, Keith, this, so, so there's, this is one guy, forgiveness and freedom is found in this one guy. That's what you're saying, that the gospel says this one guy is where you can get forgiveness and free. And so there's no forgiveness anywhere else. And, there, and there's no freedom anywhere else. Well, you can get forgiveness from a friend of yours, but, but the God of the universe is only going to forgive you based on one person having done something on your behalf. That's it. Man, Keith, that just sounds so narrow. I just don't know if I can subscribe to that. All right, if you want to change Christianity, all you got to do is make God be somebody different than who he is. And it doesn't have to be that way. If you can just change the character of God so that flexibility is more important than righteousness, holiness, purity, justice, wrath. If you can just take all those characteristics away from God, then I'm probably a couple more, but you'll be safe. But this is a book about God who already is, and he's just revealing himself to us. And so at that moment, if God is all those things, suddenly, suddenly it begins to make sense why all of human history has slowly been plotting toward one man who would do one thing that was absolutely critical and essential because the God of the universe is totally inflexible. And at the same time, he is merciful. God is merciful. I know you're sitting there thinking, but it doesn't sound like that from what you just said. No, it's completely sounding that way from a God-centered standpoint. Let me just don't pull mercy into man-centered ways of thinking. Right? Man-centered mercy says, no, no, no. I have my own definition for mercy. Mercy for me means you just randomly with arbitrary uh, heart just overlook stuff. That's mercy. 
Just randomly overlook it. Just sweep it under the rug. Listen, God's not a corrupt politician. He's God. Every wrong, the Bible says, every wrong experiences the opposing action of God, which is called God's wrath, his punishment. Every wrong. He is inflexible in that. But what amazing mercy for God to take his inflexibility and put it on his son and say, I, I will punish every sin in you. And the son says, is there any other way to do this? No, there is not. And the son does that. Is God merciful? Yes, he's merciful. I'm telling you where mercy is. It's right here. Mercy is at this address right here. It's unbelievably abundant. You don't have to be anybody special. You don't have to perform anything. You don't have to accomplish anything in your life. You just need to come to mercy and receive it. But you've got to come to this address right here. Well, I don't, I don't want to come to that address. I want mercy to be over here. Well, then we've got a problem then, don't we? And the problem is not that God isn't merciful. You know, see, Keith, I don't like the way that you talk about God. Hey, I'm telling you, God is incredibly merciful. I'm just telling you that mercy is right here. It's right in this spot right here. It's unbelievably abundant. We just come here and receive it. That's the gospel. Because of who God is. You understand, the gospel is what it is because of who God is. Is Eric, go ahead and, and come back up. I want I want to pray for us to receive this morning. A deeper, greater appreciation for God being God. God is God. I, I, in some ways, that that could create panic in your heart. And that wouldn't be a bad thing. Do you remember the scene of the Apostle John in Revelation? Who falls at Jesus' feet like a dead man. And the risen Lord of glory has to say, John, don't, don't be afraid. You, you do remember that's the same John who laid his head against Jesus' chest here upon the earth. They were friends. But when he saw the risen, glorified Christ, it freaked him out. That's God. See, listen, the greatest need in this room right now is not that you get somebody else to forgive you. It's not that you get somebody else to accept you. I know some of us, you know, that's kind of like our side job. and just working hard. Trying to figure out who I got to be, what I got to look like, sound like, get around, people accept me. Listen, the, the reason why those things are inside of you is because they're trying to reach out for what's in verse 38 and what's in verse 39. There's something in you that will never get set free by anybody forgiving you or by anybody accepting you. You're only going to get free from those things by being forgiven by God. And accepted by him. Freed from everything that the law of Moses could not do in us. Make us acceptable to God. Alright, this morning. Mercy is right here. It's right here. We're going to stand up and sing in just a moment. If you're here this morning and you want to make things right between you and God. This morning, this morning, you want to deal with that guilt that's in you. It's, it's not about other people. It's about God. You want to deal with that sense of searching for acceptance. This morning, God wants to free you from that and give you acceptance in him completely. He wants to forgive all your sins completely. He has mercy for any one of us who will respond, but it's mercy is at a location. It's where Jesus Christ is. He is the source of mercy. So let me just make this real for you. We're going to stand up together and we're going to sing. If you are here this morning and you want to receive forgiveness and freedom that is talked about in the gospel, 
Can I ask you to come stand right here? Come stand right up here. Come receive mercy from God. And as we're singing, here's what I'm going to do. If you come and respond, I'm going to send someone just to pray with you so that you can be sure that I'm leaving this building today fully aware that I have received forgiveness. And I have found and been found by God. So don't, don't, don't leave here if mercy is what you're after and you've not received it. Go ahead and come. If you need to come, go ahead and come. Thank you. Anybody else? Listen, while we're singing, if you want to come up just as we're singing, please go ahead and just make your way up here so we can pray with you and you can receive from God this morning. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for its relevance, Lord. Thank you for the mercy that you have to us that we manage to not see how relevant these things are. But Lord, ultimately, our life has to do with you. It has to do with eternal realities. It has to do with our relationship to you. So Father, would you today make sure, Lord, let there not be a person here today who is unsure about forgiveness and acceptance with you. Lord, make it sure in our hearts and invite the way you did here. Lord, some might be saying, I'm not coming. I'm not responding. I don't even like what I've heard, but some, Lord, are here rejoicing in their hearts, just like in this story. Saying, yes, that's what I've been waiting to hear. God, thank you for a place of mercy. God, help us in responding. Anybody else need to come while we're singing? You go ahead and come on up. Grace and peace. Oh, how can this be? For lawbreakers and thieves, for the worthless, the least. You have said that our judgment is death for all eternity without hope.